Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Canuck Central. It's not a trade edition of Canuck Central, at least not yet. Who knows what breaks by the time this show is up and available. It is Satyar Shaw with Dan Richo, and as always, we're here. At the Dunbar Lumber 65060 text message inbox is where you can reach us, 65060. And uh, we will get in touch with you as the show goes on here. And we have a lot to get to. Frank Valley is going to drop by at 4.30. And we are going to also chat to Irfan Gaffar coming up at 5. And uh, we are going to welcome in Dan Riccio into the conversation coming up in just a moment. But the Canucks, well, a day after Bo Horvat got traded. And one of the big talking points uh, has been... You know, with the valuation of that trade, and I know a lot's been made about what the Canucks got in return and where they're headed and, you know, what this organization may be out to do. And something interesting that kind of came out today about the trade, it seems like we learned something new about the trade every day. So far, we learned a bit last night about the retention aspect of it, that the Canucks are retaining 25% of Horvat's contract this year. And something Elliot Friedman mentioned today about the trade was that, the New York Islanders have the option to send this year's pick, even if it is a top 12 pick. And the more I thought about that, it's, it's something that is available. And even when Vancouver acquired JT Miller a few years back, it was a conditional draft pick that had protection. And even if those protections were met, there was a chance that the Canucks missed the playoffs. They would still send that pick to the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning if it was, say, 16th, 17th, or 15th overall. I think they would have made that type of a switch and they would have sent um, that pick away because they didn't want the next year's pick to be unprotected. And I think what's interesting here about the fact that this is a top 12 protection, well, really what this is, it's the New York Islanders saying, we don't want to miss out on a chance to draft Connor Bedard. Because if you have the 12th worst record, you can jump 11 spots and get the first overall pick. So that's kind of the cutoff point where you could get Connor Bedard. And so even if the New York Islanders have the 10th pick potentially, or 11th pick, or perhaps even 9th overall pick, I think there's a chance that that pick gets sent over to Vancouver because the Islanders wouldn't want to have that pick hanging over their head in 2024. That could That is unprotected, and who knows how that year goes for you. So I think that was an interesting note on the Bo Horvat trade, and the more we thought about it, and it kind of gives you another kind of layer of consideration here, right, Dan, that if this pick does end up being a top 10 pick or ninth or 10th overall, there's a chance the Canucks get that selection this season because the Islanders may want to avoid it being unprotected next season. It's crazy, Sat. Like, um, you, know, you think about how this deal has been talked about today and, and that pick, the more I've thought about it over the course of the day, is such a massive, massive part of this whole package, right? Whether it's the 8th, ninth. 10th overall could be that given where the Islanders are, but even 12 to 15, you know, you just don't get that level of a pick for what is still right now a rental. And I found it funny that a lot of people thought it was an underwhelming return. But again, you have to remember Bo Horvat is a rental and he's not as much as he's a on pace for 50 plus goals right now. He's never been that before in his career. So what are you expecting? You're expecting like a, you know, <laughs> what type of a trade return trade hall? Are you really expecting three, four first rounders? I mean, that's just, it's, it's unrealistic. This is still a, a really solid package. And one is that is one of the better 
rental packages we've seen given up in recent years. When you do compare it to other rental packages, and we'll see ultimately if Bo ends up signing a contract extension with uh, the New York Islanders, which is very much on the table based on everything that we've heard so far. So I think that's something that could happen. But I, I think... If you do look at the return, it is fair. I mean, if anything, to your point, it's on the higher end of what we've seen for players that are rentals. And what it does signify, like we talked about, is that next era of Canucks hockey. Now you have a new captain. This does signify you're going in a different direction. And I know, Dan, that as far as what we think about Bo Horvat, and he's been fantastic, right? I mean, you look at the season he's had and give him so much credit for working with Adam Oates and taking his goal scoring to another level. And he's going to set himself up for a contract that maybe we didn't think he was ever going to get. So, I mean, full credit to him. But also what's going to happen now is after he gets that big deal, and we've been sitting here and talking about the type of player Bo Horvat is and perhaps what player he isn't. Well, now we're really going to find out what Bo Horvat is because, you know, as far as a lot of the takes on Bo Horvat, there's still this this sense, it seems, around the league that he's this complete all-around player that's going to really impact. And it's going to be interesting to see what type of impact he does have with the New York Islanders. I cannot stand some of the narrative that's coming out of the Bo Horvat trade. You know, the Canucks clearly made their decision. They spent their money elsewhere because they wanted to spend money elsewhere before signing Horvat. They had a clear valuation of the player, one that was comparable to the player he was before this season. The way I believe they evaluated it in the summer was, well, if Bo wants money that's close to JT Miller, then, well, we'll just keep Miller, who has been definitively better than Horvat in every year of his Canucks career outside of this one. So the decision was made. You don't have to like it. It isn't the management job to do the things that you like. It's their job to build a winner. There was never an overnight fix for this team. So like they took over to significantly change the mix and build around Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes as the leaders of this group. And that did not and has not included Bo Horvat and for sure doesn't include Bo Horvat now. You know, I know you, a lot of people would have rather seen Bo get paid by the Vancouver Canucks than Miller because he's a nice guy. I mean, that doesn't make him worth more than $8 million a year because he's worn the C over the last couple of years for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, they've never been good with Bo wearing the C. They had the one year in the bubble, and he played really well that year, especially in the playoffs. But I mean, you you can't justify paying a player eight plus million dollars based on that, that he's a nice guy, he's good in front of the cameras, doesn't push the envelope, all of these types of things. It's just, you can't critique the Canucks for giving Miller that kind of money for the player he's been, and even maybe giving him a little bit extra based on his 99-point season, and then just completely throw that out the window because they didn't do it for Bo Horvat. Like that's that evaluation just does not add up when you consider how this all went down. The change had to come. The Canucks had to make a material change to this group. There is no denying that. And I get it. Bo's a nice guy. Everybody around the league likes him. That doesn't mean he's worth eight plus million dollars and that he should have gotten like three first round picks in this deal from the New York Islanders. It's just, I, I feel like some of the narrative has gotten a little bit out of control today. Well, I mean, they did get three first round picks back in return. That's what uh, that's Patrick right. Alvin yes. said. Oh, Dan. My, I mean, you're, I you're citing oh. that as if that didn't happen. Maybe they did get three first round picks back, Dan. 
Come on. Alvin Alvin tried to sell this deal like they got the Jack Eichel trade, you know, like, oh, we got three first round picks, you know. Right. No, I I get it. I mean, hey, listen, you're going to play up your trade, right? I mean, that's what you're going to do. I I totally understand. But I I do think like, you know, what you mentioned before in terms of the return and it being favorable compared to other rentals, I think the reason it is favorable is because how well Bo Horvat did play, right? And I think it goes back to the perception that the New York Islanders look at Bo Horvat and have that perception, the belief that he's the type of player to invest in and perhaps give him that eight times eight contract, right? And 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 honestly, man, like I don't root against Bo Horvat in the Islanders. Like I, I honestly, I hope Bo goes to the New York Islanders, and I hope he has all the success in the world. I hope that not only he becomes that 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 legitimate two-way threat and he scores 40 goals per game I hope he leads that team to the postseason like I truly hope that happens I have my doubts about what type of player that he is but I think there's no doubt that what Bo Horvat's done this season has put himself into a different conversation as a goal scorer and I think when you look at being a goal scoring center in the National Hockey League and having that ability and if that's who he truly is it's going to be able to bank for sure 30-35 goals per season at least and then give you perhaps 40-50 on a given year based on how he's gone this season I think that is a rare asset and I think regardless of what I think about the type of player I want as a center and the type of player I want to invest in, I think what Bo Horvat's done is earn himself that contract if he's going to be a 40-goal scorer every single season. So I, I do give him a lot of credit for doing that. Like, he's really taken a strength and exploded that. And I think for being a player that perhaps we talked about getting in Ryan Nugent Hopkins contract two years ago, he's getting at least $20 million more than that. And that's a huge testament to what he's done this year. I'm not here to bash Bo Horvat for the player he's become this year. I... He's got every single right in the world to go out and get the bag because he's earned it with how he's played this season. And I give him all the credit in the world for that. But at the same time, you can't sit there and be like, oh, the Canucks have to drive a harder bargain with their players and then and be mad that they did it with Bo Horvat. <laughs> you know, um, that, that's, that's the reality of the situation right now for Vancouver. And uh, Again, this isn't about bashing Bo. It's not about saying that this is mm-hmm. this player is is terrible. It's just he's never been an eight plus million dollar player. And if the Islanders choose to give him the eight by eight sixty four million dollars of total money that is being rumored right now, good on him and good on Bo for going out there and getting that. But it's just not something I would personally have done for my team if I was running it. Well, because I think with the bank, what I think the Canucks need, they have a play driver in Elias Pettersson. They need somebody else who's a play driver, and they need somebody who can really check and be a shutdown centerman as well, or at least have that capability. The Canucks don't have that on the roster unless you look at Pettersson as being that player. And as much as Pettersson mm-hmm. can do that, we know, based on what Talk had said, and they really want to take advantage of what he does best, and that is fill the net with goals, whether it's assists or goals himself when he's on the ice. And that's what he's so re- good at doing. So that's going to be a huge focus on it. So they need other players to fill certain gaps and needs. There's a reason why this team is not good defensively, and there's a reason why they're not good on the PK. It doesn't come down to Bo. It comes down to roster construction. So for the long-term viability of this team, it doesn't make sense to pay a Bo Horvat $8 million per season. For a team like the Islanders, and you know, God bless their plan, and we'll see ultimately how it works out with that roster and how old it is and, and how bloated it is, but they struggle on the on the power play, and that's where Bo Horvat really helps them. They need a guy like him on that roster. And Matthew Barzell, they have a play driver already. They have other guys that can drive play potentially. So I could see it making sense and working in their vision, no matter how 
much doubt I have about that being successful in terms of what Lamarello is trying to do with his roster, but I can see how it makes more sense for that team than it makes more sense for a team like the Vancouver Canucks. But Dan, one of the big conversations that's really taken over the market, and hey, why would we would we be surprised based on this? What's next for Vancouver, right? Because as much as the Horvat things happen, and we'll keep talking about this and you know the ramifications and everything throughout the next few months and years, really. But what's next? Is it going to be Thatcher Demko? Is it Luke Shen? We know Luke Shen most likely does get moved at some point, but Thatcher Demko, well, well, he's really taken over the conversation in terms of being the next target or big piece the Canucks might move, especially based on some of the reporting we've been hearing. I think it makes a lot of sense. I um, look, look, it's hard to win in this league without a top-end goalie. But if you are, again, significantly changing the mix, if you are aggressively going through this retool project, we know this is a management group that while they'd love to have great goaltending, they don't want a team that necessarily relies on a great goalie, and they're going to have to do a lot of building on this roster in order to make that happen. Thatcher Demko, you're not trading Kuzmenko, you're not trading Patterson, you're not trading Hughes, you're probably not trading JT Miller. Like Thatcher Demko, almost by default, becomes the next big piece that you can use to go out and acquire something of value. Mm -hmm. Maybe an impact pick, a potential impact prospect on top of that. That's the type of value I think we're at least imagining or if you're the Canucks management group, hoping to get if you do end up trading Thatcher Demko. But I think that's essentially it, Sad, is maybe we're not actively moving this player or this goalie, but I can see a pathway to where somebody does maybe get um, a big-time package coming back for Thatcher Demko because there's a couple of teams that probably fancy themselves to be pretty good and just that one goaltender away from being a potential contender. Yeah, and uh, I think there are some teams out there that could look at that. And you know what? I, I know there. I mean, I, we see this a lot. And this, like this text here to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, it makes zero sense to trade Demko. There's no chance the Canucks to trade Thatcher Demko. And we're not going to sit here and say a Thatcher Demko trade is happening. The reason it's being discussed is, well, there's been some reporting and discussion about his availability. And Elliot Friedman was on with Jeff Merrick today on the Jeff Merrick show, and they talked about Thatcher Demko. So before we talk about what's happening next here with Thatcher Demko, here's the context for why it's becoming a bigger discussion. Here's, here's Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick talking about Thatcher Demko. You know, the other one to me, and this is the total wild card, is are we going to get enough runway to see Demko before the deadline? So last Friday night, Alvin says it's tough to say for sure, but they're basically hoping three weeks. So this is week one. Next week is two more weeks. Let's just say it's three weeks. He's back the 16th, the trade deadline the third. Does that give us enough runway to see Demko? Does it matter since he's not a rental? Well, if you're if you're if you're like 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 look when I when I when I look at Demko like I was sitting there last night as I was writing I'm I'm going down the list does this make sense does this make sense does this make sense does this make sense okay there's three places to me that really make sense okay uh, one's Buffalo one's Pittsburgh and one's Los Angeles. Yeah. 
I would say in two of those situations, Buffalo, you know, I mean, do they, does, like, I think Buffalo obviously wants to get in, but they're not trying to win the Stanley Cup this year, or at least thinking they're going to win the Stanley Cup this year. So that's a little different. Mm-hmm. But if you're Los Angeles and you're Pittsburgh, can you trade for a guy you're not sure is going to be able to help you this season? No, you can't. Not with what you're going to have to give up. You can't. You can't. You can't. No, 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 no chance. That's what I'm saying. You know, does it matter because he's not a rental? So I'm thinking, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you who I might think about with, um, with Thatcher Demko is Columbus. That's the team that I would be. That's the team that I. That's would another be. one that makes a lot of sense, you know, Jeff. But and Columbus can do it because they don't. It's not about this year for them. That's Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick from the Jeff Merrick Show earlier this morning. And, you know, they mentioned a team like the LA Kings, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Buffalo Sabres as being potential destinations or teams that would be interested if Thatcher comes back and he plays and shows that he's healthy in a few weeks. And the reason this is being talked about, I don't think it's just because it's speculation. I think there's a reason for it. Now, I don't think that reason, though, Dan, is because the Canucks want to trade Thatcher Demko or that they're out there actively trying to get rid of Thatcher Demko, but there are teams calling and have interest in Thatcher Demko. So I think it it still would have to be a situation where the Canucks would have to get a haul for him for, for them to even consider moving him. But I think the reason it's being talked about is that teams are calling and that's why it's being discussed. It's, um, it's clear this has been a difficult year for Thatcher Demko and you know, anytime you struggle with an injury the way that he has, you know, a player's really going to have some difficulty through that. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of Canuck players have had a difficult time managing through this season with the emotional roller coaster that it has been. So I could see all of those scenarios being true. Ultimately, this comes down to and and look, they're not going to close the door on anything because that's not what teams do and clearly they aren't closing the door on a potential big trade whether it's Hughes or Demko or anything like that but it's almost a we dare you you know like what Mm -hmm. do you have to offer type of situation and see how desperate teams might get because you know I, I really do think the LA Kings probably view themselves as a true contender if they have the goaltending and they don't even have one coming, whereas the Sabres can at least say, Hey, we've got some guys in the pipeline that might work out here. The New Jersey devils, Vanacek has figured it out, but you know, they were a team that probably viewed themselves as a goalie away before this season. So it comes down to whether or not a team is willing to pay for it. And the thing is in recent years, we haven't really seen teams be willing to pay a huge type of trade price for goaltenders. Maybe you get a first round pick, right? Robin Leonard, some of those guys went for first rounders, but generally not much more than that. So that's something I'd be super curious to see with Thatcher Demko, especially, you know, that's the hard part that Elliot was mentioning, Sat, like especially with the way that his season is gone, is it enough runway to really get teams willing to pay a big package in order to get Thatcher Demko in for a stretch run and potentially a playoff run. That's the only way that Canucks are moving him, I think, by the deadline. I mean, you know, like, you know, in terms of why would they move him, 
if a player, and I'm not saying this is the case, but if a player comes up to them and says, hey, I'd like a change, it, does that play a part into a situation like this? Does that create a reason why this is being discussed? I mean, I know those things have been discussed and rumored behind the scenes in terms of being possibilities, but nothing concrete's come out from that in terms of it actually being something that is ongoing in terms of the player wanting out. So I know that's speculation, but I don't think the Canucks are trying to actively move him. So it has to be a huge price for them to say yes. And the only team, two teams that for me make sense, the Buffalo Sabres and the LA Kings. And the Sabres Mm -hmm. are still a couple years away from their window and sitting outside the playoff picture that, is this the year you go all in? And I know they they like some of the guys they have on on their team and their system. So it might still be early for them to make that type of a leap. I'm not sure they're there yet. The Kings would have a lot of reasons to do this. And I think, mm-hmm. like I mentioned before with Bo Horvat, the Kings line up in terms of a trade partner for Vancouver in so many different ways. You want a center? They got that. You want a defenseman? They got that. Righty, lefty, whatever you want. You want a checking center? You want a, you know, want a higher-end center? You want draft picks? They got everything you want in terms of making a big deal and getting a lot of futures. So I look at the LA Kings, and that's a team to me to watch. I think if, he, if Demko gets traded, to me, it would have to be the Kings that make that type of a push because they have a lot of pieces, I think, that would be interesting to Vancouver. Kings have so many pieces, so many prospects, uh, even in that early 20s range, right? Alex Turcotte, uh, you think about um, you know, Helga Granz, uh, you know, Byfield, they have Brant Clark. You can go down the list. Like They've got big-time prospects. They've got B prospects, B-plus prospects. They've got a lot with the LA Kings. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Sat, if, if the Kings are indeed a trade partner and you really want to get bold with it, and trust your process that you'll be able to figure out a way around it. But if you if you were to take back Cal Peterson's contract, you know, how much does that increase the value of the return in a in a Thatcher Demko deal? I've looked at you know believe it or not, uh, we spend a lot of times just looking at other teams' rosters and their and their systems. Like a lot. Like I spent hours every day just mm-hmm. looking at teams around the league and and just looking at possibilities, what could line up and what actually makes sense. You're not getting Brand Clark. You're not getting Quinton Byfield. Like I, I don't think yeah. those two things are happening, that's for fair. instance, right? Like I, I don't think that's happening. I don't think you're getting Gabe Velarde with how well he's played, for instance, either. Um now, the guys I look at from that team, you mentioned Helge Granz, right side defenseman, def- defensive defenseman is big, is pretty physical if need be, can be a top four guy, perhaps a guy that could be Quinn Hughes' partner long term. He's a guy who's a notable righty defenseman that, that's well thought of. I think he's interesting. Sean Dursey, who was under a cheap deal, he'd be interesting. Now, would they want to move somebody off their roster? I think that's a guy you kind of look at. And I think if you look out up front, Alex Turcott still. You know, he's 21 years old, has had some injuries, played well this season, might be expendable from the Kings' perspective because they have a lot of guys that like him. If you're not moving byfield, maybe he's a guy you consider. Like Aturatu, maybe he's a, he's a third liner, but he might have the potential to be a second line center for you. Now you have a couple of guys if that guy's part of the package. You get a first round pick as well. If the Kings come to you with something along those lines, Dan, I think Vancouver, I mean, I'm not reporting this, but I'm saying I would imagine Vancouver would listen. And would the Kings be willing to go that type, go that far to make something happen? That's to me the only way I see Damco get traded by the deadline is if a team like the Kings come up and bring that type of package to Vancouver. Kings, uh, you know, with the way that their season has gone, defensively, they haven't been terrible by the metrics, but the goalies cannot make saves for them. And they really risk missing out on the playoffs, especially if Calgary and Edmonton do make a bit of a run here. Uh, the Kings aren't exactly um, foolproof for yeah. their playoff bid 
So getting a goaltender might be a sort of dis- desperation play for the LA Kings sooner rather than later. And, and I'd still be skeptical, though, that we see mm-hmm. a Demko trade. Especially at the deadline. Of course, for all the reasons we talked about, yeah. Yeah. But but that's, again, like we're looking at the situation based on the reporting out there. That's kind of the only team I look at. And even then, and I know there's people saying, I still wouldn't make that type of a trade, but you got to be realistic about what teams would give up. And is that something you would even want to do? And I think that's where we're at. And and I still uh, wouldn't guess on it. But you know what? Somebody who is a bit tuned in uh, on these matters is Frank Saravalli, Daily Faceoff. He's going to join us next. We'll get his thoughts on what's happening with the Canucks, the Bull Horvat trade, Thatcher, Demko, and more. We'll also talk to Earth coming up a bit later. So we'll get into this a bit more as the show goes up. It's Satyar Shaw, Dan Riccio. This is Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. It is Canuck Central. It's bringing our insider. It's Frank Saravalli. Daily Faceoff joining us now. Frank, what's happening? Hello, boys. How's it going? Uh, you, you, it's pretty good. I mean, it's been a busy 24 hours. Uh, it's been Has a busy it ever? Year. I got busy. the news of the Bo Horvat trade like everyone else. In, I was in the Denver airport in the middle of a 10-hour <laughs> delay, so that was spectacular. I, I was driving on the 405 yesterday here in L.A., and uh, it's like, just see my Apple Watch. Oh, the Canucks traded Bull Horvat. Uh, that's, uh, that's fun. They finally pulled the trigger. Uh, what, what was your uh, initial take on the deal? I think the timing of it is what I find most interesting. I understand it from the Islanders' perspective, of course. They're trying to get in the playoff race, so that's why they wanted to get this over the finish line. I guess... I'm not entirely sure from the Canucks perspective, like, look, I get the need to turn the noise down around the team and wanting to get back on the other side of the all-star break and bye week and have a clean start and, and certainly take a lot of the drama that surrounded this team or part of it, I should say, out of the mix. There's no more speculation about that, but I think I, I'm, I guess I'm left wondering at the end of the day, what is the true direction of the Canucks because you know, you think back to Jim Rutherford's press conference a few weeks back and he said, this is a retool. And then you think back to Patrick Alvin and he says, this is not a quick fix. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this return is kind of squarely in the middle of both. And maybe that's not a bad thing, but it's also not really doesn't give us a clear indication or picture yet exactly where this is heading. And I think that next move is really going to be telling, right? Like in terms of what happens next. And, you know, before we get to that, though, I just want to uh, tie up the Bull Horvat thing. I know there's been discussions about other teams being interested and perhaps other teams feeling like the Canucks should have circled back to them or perhaps feeling like they had competitive offers that should have been listened to. Like, what's your sense about how other teams feel about uh, the return the Canucks got? I don't I don't really pay much attention to that. And I haven't heard a ton about that. If you wanted to be in the mix, like then you should have been. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one of the things that drives me crazy about the way NHL teams do business is there's this dance that needs to happen. And instead of just calling a team and saying, I like this player, and they respond back and say, okay, here's what I'd, I'd be looking for from you. They go through this whole process where it, it's like it starts months out. And we've talked about this. It's like, well, I'm kind of in the market for a center even though you know damn well they're calling about Bo Horvat. Like, it's this whole process that 
it's it's strange and then to, to see today and i don't know if teams were complaining or not but the canucks fielded offers for a couple weeks and interest i should say and had a really good sense of not just the teams that were in it but also what potential pieces might be coming back the other way or what they might be able to get their hands on and clearly this package from the islanders and really centered around Ratu that I think the Canucks are most excited about, um, they're hanging their hat on it. This is a big bet. And if this really is a retool, we talked last week or two weeks ago about the idea of if you're going to trade your, your pieces for players, that you better hit. You got to hit it out of the park. There's no room in a retool to miss on players when you're getting them back. And that's Patrick Alvin's hung his hat his entire career. He's made his bones in this league as a scout. We're going to get a really good sense of how good he is now. Yeah, I feel he uh, he sort of spilled the beans yesterday when he made the three first-round picks comment. That, that I got clear. tripped up in that today. I, I For whatever <laughs> reason, I remembered him as a first-round pick, and it's just because they view him as a first-round talent. Yeah, he, it's clear uh, Patrick Alvin had uh, Ratu as a first-round talent back in uh, in 2021, which you know many did going into that draft, but he had the tough draft years we've uh, sort of talked about the last 24 hours. You know, it's, it, it is... Um, when it comes to Bo, we've talked about it a ton. The Canucks sort of made their bet with JT Miller in the summer. And the way Bo's season went, they were never going to get him on the team-friendly deal that maybe they were ultimately hoping for. But now Lou Lamorello, I mean, he's he's made the big bet. Is Bo getting the 8x8 eight eight or something similar to that that he's been looking for? I don't have any doubt in my mind. And in fact, I'd be surprised if the parameters of it aren't already done. My understanding, speaking to people who have direct knowledge of Lou Lamorello's thinking, was that he was not pulling the trigger on this deal unless he knew that Bo Horvat was signing. I don't know how he would go about finding that information. Uh, it is Lou Lamorello, so we'll never know. And frankly, the Canucks will never know. But I don't believe the Canucks ever provided negotiating power or rights before the trade to Horvat's camp in order to make it happen. And my guess now, as we've seen from Lou Lamorello over recent years and summers, is he'll announce the deal when he's damn good and ready to do so. So whatever that may be, the holdup, whether it's for optics, just a few hours or day a day after the trade or whatever it is, there, I think there's a strong sense of where this is heading and also, you know, the guardrails financially of, of what this deal is going to look like. I'm not privy to them. My guess is it's somewhere in that eight times eight neighborhood that you mentioned. And it's, you know, either a shade north of that or a shade south of that. But, like, I wouldn't be surprised to see it come in right in that range. Well, one thing Horvat did was totally cash in on his contract here. It's good oh. for him, and it's going to be fantastic to see what, how much money he gets. I mean, it, it's it's really a nice lesson for a lot of guys in contract years, how to really up your value, and it's been tremendous from Bo. But you, you mentioned— you know, the, you know what's interesting? And yeah, I'll yeah. say, before, sorry, before you move on, is, like, not everyone can handle that. Yeah. Not everyone can handle the pressure of playing with all of that going on, let alone— the noise of what a circus it's been this season in Vancouver. So full marks and full credit to Bo Horvat. I know 
Um, you know, there's a lot of people in his camp that are incredibly proud of the season that he's had. Yeah, and he's going to cash in in a major way. And, you know, you mentioned what's the direction of this team. And I think the next move, outside of Luke Shen, because I think the next move, the most realistic one, is the Luke Shen one. Like, we've discussed so many different ways. But Thatcher Demko's name has been thrown out there a lot recently. Like, to me, answering the question about what direction are the Canucks taking, if they're actually considering where they move Demko, to me, that would be the clear signal of this is going to take a couple of years. Like, this is not a quick fix thing. This is not a retool. This is much more like a rebuild if they actually go down that road. And do you think they might? Bingo. Yeah, I I fully agree. That's, That's the white flag move if you decide to trade Thatcher Demko because... I don't know how big of a believer the Canucks are are in whatever they have in the goaltending pipeline. Maybe there's, I I don't think there's anything there to get super excited about, but if they decide to trade Demko, like it's, it's full scale rebuild. And I don't have any indication yet that that's a path that they're going to go down. I think it'd be crazy to not consider all of your options given where you're at. But Again, from everything that they've said publicly, we don't have any indication, and, and frankly, privately, we don't have any indication that they're they're ready and willing to do that. And so, I think it's going to be much more focused on, you know, probably even before you get to Shen, what you know, Brock. It seems to me Brock Besser is next. See, on the like now, now you think about the wing players, and and there is. Another one added in Anthony Beauvillier. So now you've added another 10 10 extra million dollars in the last week between Kuzmenko and Beauvillier. It's it's wild. And, you know, these are players Garland and Besser for as as much as the Canucks have tried. You know, haven't been able to figure out any kind of deals there. But um, clearly they think that at some point they'll be able to move off of some of this money off of the wing. They're going to have to somehow, some way. Yeah. And and. I think, again, what that emphasizes to me, if you're looking at the future structure of the Canucks and assuming that he's part of it, is the other part of this is they're basically doubling down on the bet that JT Miller is a center. And there's been plenty of consternation and talk about that, and I won't pile on, but there's a lot of people that believe he isn't a true center. And so if he isn't, then where where do things head from here? Well, you know, I just wonder about the whole Besser thing in in general, too. Like, how big a priority is it going to be for teams? Because I wonder if he's going to be more likely maybe closer to the deadline when, let's say New Jersey. We know they're after Timo Meyer. We've heard they've been linked to Brock Besser. I'd imagine Besser is what, plan B or plan C? Like, could could he be one of those players that you kind of have to wait for another piece or two that's above him on the pecking order to go? Maybe, but I also see... Brock Besser, given the contract, not being a super expensive acquisition price. And we've talked about that, you know, how much are, if any, are the Canucks willing to retain? I think given the term remaining on his deal, um, you know, two more years at 665, they'd be probably pretty wise to see if they could get through it without retaining not only do you not want to have money on your books next year, but you also, given what you might need to do with some other players, you, you really don't want to chew up your th- one of your three retained salary transaction slots if you can avoid it. So 
that may weaken the return, but I also think right now with where Besser's game is, given the term and contract, it's it's not going to be a huge one anyway. So I think teams have sort of slotted Brock in about a million to a million two five under what his number is now. So sort of in the five three to five five range, that's where they'd probably be pretty comfortable adding him. And I just don't know what that does to the return. Yeah, it feels like one where you'd almost rather to take a, a contract back that's either expiring this year or even expiring next year so you at least clear up some money somewhere down the line a little bit sooner than where Brock's contract would end up and potentially gives you some flexibility. But that's the the, the situation the Canucks find themselves in and, and how many different things they have to be looking at right now. Um, I, I did want to bring everything it back to- on the table is what I think it should be. Yeah, it has to be. And and to bring it back to Demko for a second, just in, in general, Frank, you know, one of the things I think about when it comes to goaltenders is like, do they have a ton of trade value around the league? Even one that is as immensely talented as Thatcher Demko and on a great contract when he's on the ice and playing at the top of his game. I mean, we haven't seen goalies go for much more than a, a mid to late first round pick, even if they are on those sort of terms. Yeah, that and that's really where the proposition comes in for the Canucks. Like, I, I don't know that if you are going to wave the white flag that the juice is necessarily worth the squeeze because goalies historically just haven't been very much valued on the trade market. And, you know, the contract is one to get excited about and particularly his age. But the fickle nature of the position and also the question marks surrounding not just the injury, but also the season that he had prior to the injury, I think has left some teams wondering. And not to say he doesn't have value, it's just that it wasn't a great showing and this probably wouldn't be the time to pull the trigger on it. So you'd want to get him back. I think the target has always been sometime in February um, for those talking about it in realistic terms. And... You know, I, I also think there's probably some blame to go around in terms of how the injury was managed going back to last summer um, in terms of how active he was on the ice prior to the start of the season, given the workload that was going to come once the season started, coming off of, um, you know, what was a pretty strenuous summer for him on his body, I would imagine, with um, getting things fixed up. Do you think that's something the player might be considering too, that maybe his situation wasn't handled, especially after the whole Pearson thing, when, when that stuff comes up? I mean, that's the natural question. Would, would the player feel like that wasn't handled or just maybe in terms of how the team approached things overall? I, I don't. I can't put myself into Thatcher Demko's shoes to know what he's feeling or what he's thinking. Um, I, I That's just my observation from afar about, um, you know, basically the spot that Demko was in uh, heading into the season. On that note, um, Ilya Mikheyev gets shut down over the weekend, uh, Frank, and, and it seemed uh, pretty wild that he had to uh, explain everything the way that he did on Twitter afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, it was clearly a decision he was okay with when it was made. I know it was something you even talked about uh, earlier in the year on, on, on this radio station, um, what the injury could be. And, you know, it is, it, it really just spoke to, 
the level of wonder and uh, the level of trust that may or may not be there right now between the Canucks and the medical staff. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how how much of that is hyperbole, like meaning right. is a bigger deal made of it outside than inside. Mm. Um, I would say that's probably the case. Mm-hmm. And I'm not defending the Canucks medical team or, or the organization at all. There's a whole lot of nuance that goes into this. And I appreciate you mentioning the report that I had back in September when I said that the Canucks feared that they they were dealing with an ACL tear from Mikheyev is that when you have an injury like that, the nuance comes in because almost every knee sprain is actually a micro tear of mm. the ligament. And the question is, how big is it? How much does it impact the player? Uh, does it need to be surgically repaired? Will it be damaged if you continue to play on it? And I think in a way, if Mikheyev and the Canucks got absolute confirmation that there was no way to further injure it and there was no risk to keep playing, why not? And this was the smart way to handle it in that the season's gone. You now know it's over. You're not making the playoffs. He hung in there, and now the focus is to turn to training camp next season and being 100%. Waiting any longer and missing time next season, who does that help? So I I get where they're coming from, but I just think the way this whole year has played out, you know, everyone, I don't want to say is wearing a tinfoil hat. It's right to be, you know, to ask questions and to raise those concerns. I just don't know how real it is Mm -hmm. because it seemed like everyone was in lockstep, and I also thought... It was really interesting to me, just the timing of it, uh, in that he's represented by Dan Milstein and Kuzmenko's deal just happened to get done 48 hours before the injury announcement to Mikheyev. Maybe there was a sort of uh, let's keep everyone quiet thing. Yeah, it very let's well. Let's make everyone happy is <laughs> what I should say. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, hey, we, we've seen that before, right, in terms of you know teams just – you mentioned Lou Lamorello wants to play it on his terms. That's kind of a similar thing, I guess, in this situation. Before we let you go, we've been talking a lot about, of course, Luke Shen. We mentioned Brock Besser and Thatcher Demko. Is there anybody else in this Canucks team that, that you could see potentially get moved here by the deadline? Is it just Connor Garland, potentially? Is there a market around him? Like, Do you see anything else here of significance the Canucks might do? Is there a, is there a chance of a Beauvillier flip? I, I mm. doubt it because I think... The, I think the Islanders had already had feelers out for Beauvillier going back to last season. He was on my trade targets board um, and, and weren't able to find takers then at that price of the contract. So I don't know. I, I would say those would be the names I would focus on. I, I think it's maybe a little bit of a lowercase situation with Garland because he has the extra years. Um, you know, one additional, of course, beyond Brock. And yeah, I would say from a pure timing perspective, uh, sooner might be better for the Shen family. So maybe they could make yeah. that happen. They're in a spot where I believe his wife is a couple weeks away from giving birth to their third child. So I think they were trying, they were hoping that they could land in their new city before she's unable to fly. So maybe they could make that happen. Uh, Frank, we always appreciate your time. You heading out to uh, Florida for the All-Star I am. I am tomorrow. So it'll be uh, nice to get a little sunshine. All right. We'll see you in the dunk tank then. 
All right, sounds good. I'll be there, and I'll, I'll be wearing my uh, my sun shirt because no one needs to see that. Uh, thanks for this, Frank. <laughs> see you guys. Uh, there he is, Frank Saravalli, joining us here on Canuck Central. And, and finally, when you uh, when you introduced Frank, I think we we finally uh, let the cat out of the bag in terms of where you're broadcasting from. Because I mean, yesterday was, was such a whirlwind. We went an extra hour, but we didn't get to any of the you know joking around or whatever or, or any personal discussions. But yeah, Dan Riccio coming to us live from sunny L.A. I just needed the sunshine, you know, the uh, the Vancouver malaise, the rain malaise of Vancouver just uh, it, it was getting to me. So took the bye week to, to come down to L.A. And uh, it's been a wild couple of days. I'm not going to lie, like dri- driving on the 405 and getting the news of the Bo Horvat deal. That was interesting. And then, uh, you know, this morning I went for coffee. Uh, no biggie. Just saw Hillary Duff at the uh, at the at the coffee shop. And, uh, you know, so, so what do you think of the Bo Horvat trade, Hillary? Oh, you, do you like it? Oh, yeah, it's good for the Canucks. Me, too. Me too. I, I think so, too. It's great. Yeah. You and Hillary Duff talking to shop. <laughs> I like the local Starbucks. Um, yeah, there's a blue bottle coffee. Uh, that's uh I don't know. It's one of those things like uh, the you know, my yeah. wife just has all these places on the list that she wants to go to, has to go to. So like little by little, we're, we're uh, knocking through all of them as as we work through the week as well. Yeah, and, and Eddie coming through with, with Live and Die in L.A., coming up big. <laughs> it's a great track. That's good. I like it. So far, so good. I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, it's more just like needing the sun around this time of year, Sat. Yeah, we're not getting how, it. Yeah. Dark things have been around the Canucks lately. Well, yeah, I mean, it was sunny a couple of days ago. The last couple of days were nice. Today, not yeah, so much. Yeah, there's like a massive cold snap running through. It's like one degree up there. Yeah, it's like two degrees. Okay. It's okay. not that bad. <laughs> it's snowing today? Yes. Oh. But it's fine. I got to work fine. It's all right. Just have to wear a toque. Okay. I'm good. All right. As long as you got your blunnies on and a little toque, you're, you're good. We're good. We're clean. Go get sunshine. <laughs> Uh, all right, coming up, Irfan Gafar is going to join us. Uh, his take on Horvat and what is to come next as we continue to wonder just exactly how the Canucks continue to significantly change the mix of this roster. It is Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canucks Central.